Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We are joined by Dave Lickman, founder and CEO of Enable Match. Today, we'll be covering four main topic areas with Dave. First, the current state of sales enablement and the B2B SaaS and cloud industry. Second, the growing importance of sales enablement, especially in light of the great resignation. Third, how has the shift to remote work impacted the sales enablement profession? And fourth, how do you measure the return on investment for sales enablement? Dave, please take a moment to give a brief background of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics Measure Up podcast. Happy to. And first, thanks for having me. I um, Many years ago, I was an enablement practitioner, and I, I spent a bunch of years in the trenches doing sales enablement. Back then, it was called training. And then after there, I, I sort of sold myself to the dark side and moved into sales for a bunch of years at salesforce.com. I was a salesperson and a sales leader. And then after that, I was working a sales enablement technology company doing sales. And so I've kind of been around the space for a while. And then just over three years ago, I saw a really big need in the space for CROs to find really good enablement folks. Like it's hard to find the good ones because there's a lot of mediocrity out there, frankly, in the enablement world. And I had a pretty good network and I knew what good looked like. And so I launched what was then, you know, the very first recruiting firm for sales enablement professionals. And so I've been doing that for just over three years. And I, I often joke that my, my dumb little hypothesis wasn't so dumb and has not been so little. So now I'm three years in and I have, a, I have the best job out there. Well, Dave, you missed a really important part of your journey to becoming a guest here on the Metrics Major Up, and that is back in the early 2000s where we worked together, where you led sales training for QRS, the company we worked at. And that's one of the times where I really saw amazing benefit and return from sales training, now sales enablement. So thank you for being a great resource all the way back in 2002. 20 years ago. Well, let's get into the first kind of topic. And that is, as I just mentioned, I've been both a, a big benefactor and a proponent of sales training, and now we've moved to sales enablement. But 2021 seemed to be a key inflection point in the adoption of sales enablement. So can you provide some insights and in how the magnitude of investment in the function and even the profession overall evolved last year heading into 2022? Yeah, I'll start to it first from anecdotally what I've been seeing. And so I'll give you some data points that might kind of help people understand what's been happening, the momentum in the space. I, I think, you know, first, I'm seeing companies who historically have never done sales enablement or never done it properly realize now is the time. And so in 2021, everyone said, all right, all of our playbooks have been thrown out the window. How we used to sell is not how we sell anymore because of COVID and this pandemic thing. So we've got to pivot how we sell. And people have realized enablement are the ones that help them make that pivot. And so you're seeing companies who historically have just never really done or had a sales manager do it on the side or on the weekends. They said, all right, we've got to double down on this enablement thing. So people are finally doing it. 
and I'll even say even companies who are really you know immature or really young startup companies, even as nine, 10 sales reps are already even at that stage saying we have to have enablement. And that really never happened before at that stage. And what, and what they're saying is we know what we're doing here. And if we're going to be competitive and if we're going to accelerate and hit the growth that we think we can make, we've got to have this thing scale right. So they're doing it you know, earlier than ever before and in ways that blows me away that it's, so, it's been so amazing. I'll also tell you from my vantage point, in terms of investment, I will tell you that salaries, like the comp packages that enable folks are getting are by far outpacing inflation. They're, they're really competitive and they're going up and up. And they're now in a lot of places, they're comparable to a sales manager, VP of sales in some places where they're really getting a lot of investment from the executive staff who realize this is, this is their, their leverage point across the organization. I'll tell you probably every week to two weeks, I'll have a CRO or a CEO say some version of, this is the most important hire I'm going to make this year. That's an amazing statement from a C-level executive talking about this little training function we used to, we used to talk about 20 years ago. Well, let's step up click on something that you said there, and that was they're hiring the function earlier and earlier. And you mentioned 9, 10 kind of sales reps. So I guess my question is, you know, from an ARR perspective, because I get asked, when should I invest in revenue operations? When should I invest in the sales ops? So do you see the kind of that 5 million to 10 million ARR now is the sweet spot to think about? Investing in sales enablement? Yeah, I'll, I'll put some nuance around that though. So from an ARR perspective, yes, with the caveat that if a company isn't sure about their product market fit, and they're not sure about their playbook of how we are selling motion and having predictability, I would say hold off until you know what you're doing. If you're still throwing spaghetti against the wall, try and find out the playbooks and how you are going to sell it might be a little bit too early because you don't want to replicate things that don't work. But I think as soon as you understand what your motion is and you have predictability to it, like, you know, if you follow steps A through D, you're pretty much in a good position to win a deal. Then that's a really good time to start to invest, to replicate and to scale what's working. And that that's the right time. Well, let me ask another question because of the move and shift to remote work. You know, traditionally with sales training and sales enablement, of course, we'd have the big bang theory, right? We'd get everyone together in a room, we'd do the training. And I even, because I was so advanced, Dave, you know, I would have like monthly um, lunch and learns where I would bring people together for a couple hours. We'd do a training program on a specific topic, whether that was messaging, objection handling, et cetera. So the question is, has the deployment model, the delivery mechanism for sales enablement changed dramatically over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's undeniable that, you know, I think much like our vacation plans for 2020 went out the window, I think every sales enablement practitioner who had his or her playbook of how they like to do enablement also went out the window in 2020 because the big bangs, the get together didn't happen anymore. We couldn't. And so clearly there has been a, a pivot towards technology of helping us do, you know, Zoom has been a lifesaver for everybody out there of, of a way to connect and have meetings and, and do enablement. So there, there's a big you know, pivot towards you know, the technology as a deployment tool for enablement and having touch points to have training sessions, even having get-togethers and, and things that build 
culture and community. So I think there's that part of the deployment. That's you know, more than we ever had had before. What I'm seeing, frankly, as a result of the great resignation from a, from a talent point of view is that you see varying numbers of what turnover looks like, but you know, so many of these companies are ingesting a very large number of people for the first time, like a very large number of people at one time and try to try and ingest that many people that quickly, it's, it's a lot to ask of the organization. And I, and I guess I point that out because if you're a CRO and you're bringing on a bunch of salespeople, broadly defined, and your whole go-to-market motion is hiring in there, those folks must be productive fast. If you're hiring, you know, 35% new people this year in your, in your organization, like, and your whole business model is predicated on them being productive within, say, six months, it's now taking them 10, 11, 12 months because the number of people coming in there, that's a big problem. And so I, I'm seeing the, the relative import of, of enablement to getting all these new people coming into the organization productive faster. It is sky high right now. It's a lot of pressure and enablement's got to deliver because there's just too many new people coming in. Now, there's a couple different directions I could go here, but I think the first thing I want to kind of talk more about is that big bang one-time training versus continuous kind of education. Do you find that most sales enablement functions today have more self-directed and interactive kind of training curriculums versus the, I stand up as an instructor, I talk to you for three hours, and maybe I give you one little case study to work on? Yeah, it's mostly a hybrid, frankly. Like it's not all stand up in front of a classroom, instructor-led training as we call it. And it's not all virtual. Most folks these days have found a nice balance. I think that ratio shifts over over time as we have some ability to get together and sometimes we don't. And so what I am seeing is there, there definitely is a large movement towards finding ways to do things remotely. And, and making that work. Because I think we've learned over the past 24 months that we can, we can do a lot remotely, asynchronously. And actually, whether it's whether synchronously remotely or asynchronously, we're, we're able to do a lot there. And so I think with technologies, people are, are leading or kind of bending that direction more so than ever before. And there, I think when all the dust settles and everybody feels comfortable doing some stuff in person, I think there, there is still a role for classroom. There's still a role for instructor-led training, but I, I think we'll be more judicious on how often we do it and making sure that's only for very high value things. And the things that we can do remotely, we will do remotely. Gotcha. Another thing that you said is the demand for sales enablement professionals is off the charts and B2B SaaS and cloud companies are hiring to function even earlier. So my question is the profile of a sales enablement professional for an earlier stage company, that 10 million AR company that's just raised 30 million, they're going to go hire 30 more salespeople and sales development combined. Do you look for people who have just more sales enablement, sales training, or do you also look for people who have feet on the ground sales experience? What's the perfect profile for that early stage first sales enablement resource, David? So that is the, the very big question that people talk about a lot. And I try and coach people on this, on this point. So I'll tell you the things that I think are important. And so I'll say this, and this may be somewhat controversial to a lot of the listeners. I don't know that you have to have sales experience to be an effective sales enablement professional. It's a definitely, it's a nice to have. I, mean, I, I had it, it helps me, like it helped me be, be more 
empathetic and understand the, the motions and the, and the cycles of the sales professional, but you don't have to have it. And if you don't have it, it is incumbent upon you as an enablement person to be a student of sales. You've got to be really, really curious. You've got to do ride alongs. You've got to be, you know, immersed and ingrained with the field so that you're truly aware of what's going on. So I think, again, I just, I don't know that you have to have this, the true sales experience, but gosh, it's really nice if you do. But what I would say, if you're, if you're hiring your first sales enabled professional, more likely than not, it's a team of one. So it's the first person who's standing up the function. So I think them having enablement experience is really important. And, and I think if you're in that environment, you know, ideally somebody who understands that growth stage, that scrappy, under-resourced, wear six hats stage, I think them having some experience in that type of scrappy environment is very, very helpful because you've got to figure out, like, are they resourceful? Like, if they spent, you know, 10 years at Cisco with legions of people behind them helping them, I have my competitive team and I have my content team and I have my onboarding team, like... They coordinated and they maybe did some of the work, but they really haven't had to like figure out how to get scrappy to get stuff done and empower others to do the work for you. So I think I would look for people who have been at that scrappy stage. That goes a long way in the enablement function. I also, again, I mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll, I'll double down on it. People who are really curious, and I, I, I can't put a high enough premium on people who are curious, because especially at that stage, you need to be curious about your customers, your customers' stories, their pains, about the product, about your industry, about your sellers, about your sales leaders. Like really being curious about all those things is a huge, huge win. And the people who are the most curious ones will instill that in your sellers, which will go a long way for your selling motion. So I think experience is enablement. I think good curiosity, being scrappy. And the, the last thing, Ray, I'll, I'll point this out is a lot of folks out there who maybe have worked with enablement folks in the past will say they're really good at delivering what we ask of them. They're pleasers, right? The, you say jump, they say how high, but that, that kind of people who are inherently trying to, to give people what they ask of them. I will say that the most effective folks out there in enablement at any stage, frankly, of, of the company are the ones who know when and how to push back. That they don't just say yes reflexively, they say, hey, Ray, you want me to run this big program for the, all the sellers and fall? Let's talk about that. Why do you want to do that? And if that's not really the, the best thing to do, gently push back on you and, and have a discussion or even a healthy debate on why that's not the right thing. The ones who can push back and have that strong sense of self and have their own gravitas, they're the ones who do really well. The ones who just say yes and do things because they've been asked, they take on too many things and they will fail. Well, that tells me that world-class sales enablement professionals also know how to recruit their employer to look for that CRO, whoever they report into, that's looking for that partner, not a robotic doer. I'll, I'll tack on to that point is, I didn't say this explicitly, and I should. So when I, when I talk to candidates who are in enablement, some have been great, very successful, and some have failed miserably, and some are in the middle. And I will tell you the one of the traits that really separate the really strong from the weak are the ones who can build good relationships. And so again, I always say, you know, enablement is a it's a team sport, it's a relationship sport. And so the the good ones can partner with people like you, Ray, the, the heads of sales, and we are partners at this thing. And they can partner with the frontline sales managers, and they can partner with marketing who's building collateral for them. And if they don't make those relationships, 
they're doing enablement in that ivory tower and it's a little bit disconnected and that's at a very great expense. And so again, if you're looking at the right one to hire, I would look for people who have a great track record of building good relationships. Let's pivot a little bit away from that. And that was great advice that you just provided, Dave. But let's pivot. You know, revenue operations has been a hot topic also. And they talk about the alignment of marketing, sales, and customer success to the customer experience and the customer journey. So the other thing I've been hearing a lot about recently is that sales enablement is too narrow. It's revenue enablement or go-to-market enablement. So what's the real trend out there regarding sales enablement taking on enablement for multiple market-facing? functions, Dave? Yeah, as, as we speak, the aperture is opening. And exactly what you said is happening. So, you know, a lot of companies will start or have started thinking about enablement very myopically, right? It's about, I'm going to enable the quota carriers. And then slowly said, well, the quota carriers and the SDRs and BDRs, right? And that was, that was sort of the sweet spot for a while. What they're realizing is there are a lot of synergies across the entire go-to-market function and the entire customer experience. And so what if we think about it more holistically and now broaden that aperture, that purview even greater to include things post-sale? So like you said, customer success, even customer support or technical support is sometimes now being brought into the purview of enablement. And I I had, um, there were two searches I was working on last year that we were literally mid-search they paused it and said, hey, the C-suite was talking last week and we decided we wanted to broaden this to include you know, post-sales efforts too. And what was noteworthy was, A, they're learning as they're going, they're thinking about it more holistically, which is great. But what I was even more heartened by and taken aback by was the fact that the C-suite was really viewing enablement strategically and it was a conversation at their level about this little training function. Like they really understood the power, the potency of the function. So they realized we will get great benefits by broadening that purview. So to your point, directionally speaking, it's getting broader and broader. And I think that's a very healthy thing. Today, where do you typically see sales enablement reporting into? And if you wanted to forecast out 24 months from now, where is enablement going to be reporting to? So I will, I will give you the disclaimer. I have strong opinions on this matter. Everybody will agree. But so I, I don't believe there's a right or wrong. I do think there is an optimal versus suboptimal. And I will, I will say in my experience, you'll see an enablement living under a sales leader, maybe under the sales leader, like a CRO, like the head of sales, sometimes under like a sales manager, uh, sometimes under operations, sales operations, revenue operations, somewhere there, or sometimes marketing or sometimes even HR. And so it can live under all of those places. I think, just to put a reference point, I I think the head of sales, like the CRO, is like the sun. And you want to be as close to the sun as you can be. And the farther you get from the sun, the colder and harder it is to do your job. And so in my view, the most optimal place is directly underneath the revenue leader, directly reporting to that CRO, because you have alignment. You have your part of their weekly team meetings. You have one-on-ones. That alignment is, is unshakable. And that, that's really where you want to be. With every step farther from the sun, you have more distance and more disconnect. And it becomes harder. And so even, even revenue operations who might report up to the CRO, that's a direct report away. That's a game of telephone. And it gets a little bit harder. And so it's not wrong. It can work very well. I say work well all the time, but I view it as being suboptimal. 
And I think marketing and, and HR, again, are just farther and farther from the sun. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story to illustrate. Two years ago, I was working with this candidate and she's at the director level, director of sales enablement. And she reported up to the VP of sales operations. And I was talking to her for the first time and I said, how's your job going? And she's like, oh, I love my job. I'm working on some cool things. We're doing really well. I'm plugged in, like job's great. And then I asked the question, I said, when was the last time you met with your CRO, your boss's boss? And she said, gosh, it's probably been like two quarters. And my, my jaw hit the ground. I'm like, you're the director of sales and you haven't met with your CRO in two quarters. I said, you might want to find a way to meet with him or her more, more frequently. And that was that. So fast forward about six or nine months, I was talking to her again. She said, oh, I have an update. My boss quit. My VP of operations quit. They moved me underneath the CRO. And I said, and? And she said, it's a completely different job than it was nine months ago. And she said, I am pulled in on every strategic initiative that he wants to execute. I am his sounding board. Every big initiative, every big problem he pulls me in and we, we strategize on how to tackle this problem. She's like, I thought I was working on important stuff before. Now it is light years ahead of that. And I think it kind of illustrates that one <laughs> step removed and what a difference that made. And again, she didn't know the difference and her old VP of sales or old CRO didn't know the difference. But when they got together, sparks really started to fly and they found that synergy. And so she said, like, I'm his, his de facto chief of staff. And I think that's kind of how it should feel when it's done right. Yeah. So what percentage, right, just a kind of a high level guess, I guess, have accepted your optimal advice where sales enablement reports to the head of sales or CRO? Is it 20%? Is it 80%? What's the number, do you think? This is all very anecdotal and big swag, but I would say just 80% of the people are reporting to the revenue organization. So somewhere in the sales organization. So that's close. I would say within that, I would say probably half are reporting to the head of sales, half are reporting to somebody else, operations or and their sales leader. Those are the rough things just from my conversation. Okay. So about 50-50 reporting to the head of sales, CRO or not. Okay. I can't believe how fast our time's going. So let me do one last question. It's based upon some research we just conducted, Dave, and that is what percentage of B2B SaaS companies actually have a purpose-built sales enablement platform? So not a content management system or other tool, not even an LMS, but a purpose-built LMS for those who are familiar with the learning management system. 36% of companies replied that they have a sales enablement platform in place with another 15% saying they plan to deploy one in 2022. So it'll get us to about 50%. Number one, does that surprise you? And number two, for a really experienced sales enablement professional, is that almost a way to evaluate or value whether sales enablement's truly a priority for a company or not is by having a platform in place? So it doesn't surprise me. I think there has been a, a realization over the past eight to 10 years that purpose-built enablement platforms are important. Specifically that, you know, the sales audience has higher needs than other parts of the organization are doing sexual harassment training or compliance-based stuff. And so the needs are higher, the bar is higher. And frankly, salespeople, and I say this as one of them, we're a pain in the butt. We need a lot. We have short attention spans. And so I think there, there's a different animal for the sales team. So I think there's a trend to move away from 
generic learning management systems towards purpose-built stuff for the go-to-market people, for the sellers. So it doesn't surprise me. And I, and I do think, I'll, I'll say this a couple of different ways. I do think it's important, it's a good indicator that they're investing in, in sales enablement when they have the platforms. But I, I will give this very strong caveat, right? I don't think it's always the right answer, meaning it's not a panacea. And so I think if you're a company and you're buying a platform just to buy a platform, mistake. I think to be clear, it needs to have a clearly defined problem that you're trying to solve. It needs to have metrics associated with how, what does it look like when you solve that problem? How do you measure success? It needs to have an executive sponsor. Like all these things have to be in place for it to have a fighting chance to move the needle. And if you don't, save your money, save your time, and just wait until you have a, a you know, crystal clear defined problem and a sponsor and acknowledgement that like, we're all going to do this thing. It's not just something we're going to buy and let it sit on the shelf. And so I think it's a good sign that they're investing in it. But I think sometimes people are investing because their friend who's also CRO did it and they did, did it successfully. So I think it's, you got to be judicious about these purchases, but I think when done properly, these platforms, they help you scale. They can do truly magical things, especially in our remote asynchronous environment. They're, they're a great, great thing. I'm a huge, huge believer. Well, that's a perfect lead into my final question. And that is return on investment for sales enablement. So let's say that you're considering investing in sales enablement for the first time as a CEO and then talking to the CFO about the return on that investment. Or even if you already had a sales enablement resource and you got some pretty good anecdotal feedback, oh yeah, the training was great or I really liked this curriculum, et cetera. But they were really never able to say, this improved dramatically because. So what are those leading and lagging indicators that are measurable to show the return on investment for sales enablement, Dave? Yeah, you and you you frame it the right way that I, I think about leading versus lagging. And so like everybody thinks about ACV, people think about attainment. So those big things, but those are, to your point, those are lagging, right? Like if you're an enterprise sales motion and I do a bunch of sales stuff now, but your deal cycle is 18 months, you're not gonna know for a while whether or not it worked. And that, that's a problem. And so you really can't always rely on those lagging indicators unless you're a velocity sale and your sales are you know, three weeks long and then, then you can figure it out pretty quickly. But in the enterprise motion where it's longer, you really gotta to start to reframe it and think about what are the leading indicators. And so I'm a big believer in, I think about it at a very micro level for a moment here. So every program, every enablement program you roll out, it needs to have a purpose. It needs to have a problem that it's trying to solve. And you have a baseline, what you're trying to solve, and then be able to look at what happened. And I, ideally, like everything that you're solving there directionally helps you, right? It, it, it is a leading indicator. So as an example, if your company is getting clobbered by its direct competitor, you're like, well, we got to start, we got to change our messaging to beat this competitor. So maybe you roll out a messaging certification to get all your sellers to understand a couple of talking points that you know will help you win these deals against the competitor. So like you doing a messaging certification and making sure everybody understands the, the right talking points is a, is a program that you can clearly check out your win rates before and after that certification. That's a leading indicator, right? You can early on, you can see, are we, are we having effect? Is this messaging helping us get the next meeting? Are we, are we staying in the deal? Are we being cut out as the deals go on? And so I think there are things like that you want to think about early on of like, 
are you getting your win rates there? Or another example is if you're, if you're finding that you're having to discount a lot, it tells me you're not doing a good job in discovery of finding enough pain. So doing a big program around discovery. And so you can start to gauge, are you learning more in your discovery sessions than you did before that you can then weaponize to maintain your price premium? Right. There's, there's things you can measure early on methodology adherence or, or um, your mutual close plans adherence. Like there's things that you know early on that if you really are, are focusing on those things and doubling down those things, those are usually pretty good leading indicators for the revenue that follows. And so I would just look really closely at your, your go to market motion where it's not working as well and build up, have a purpose built program around those things, because that, that's really what will be the leading indicators of the revenue that will follow. In light of the great resignation and the industry is growing, so we're hiring a lot of new salespeople, sales development. What about the leading indicator of kind of time to productivity, time to first quota, or even overall quota achievement by the sales force? Is there, are those metrics that sales enablement should be held responsible for? Yes, absolutely. It's at a macro level, we, we are all affecting those things. The tricky thing about this attribution of you know, enabling activities to revenue is, it's not, you know as you say in, in, in numbers, like all things are not being held equal, right? There's a lot of things going on that affect those outcomes. And so that's why I say as much as you can parse out and work on things at a micro level that will then bubble up to a macro level, but all those things you said are our bread and butter. And yes, we need to be measuring over time, are we driving up attainment and win rates? And are we driving up, you know, all the time to first deal, time to second deal. Like those are all absolutely things that we should be measuring that we're affecting. But then I would dissect even further to say, well, what affects those things? And that's, that's I think, where you really want to, the devil's in the details. Thank you so much for being a guest. So let's give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit more on a personal basis by three quick questions. So the first is, is there a CEO or company that you're following that you'd recommend other people to follow today? So there's a person I found last year. She's a CRO at Lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E. Her name is Dini Mehta, D-I-N-I-M-E-H-T-A. And she is phenomenal as a CRO, as a leader. And her, on LinkedIn, she is both prolific and profound. And I recommend following her. And just, she says some great stuff about sales leadership, about representation, about just, just, being a human and a sales professional, just really strong. And she talks about our journey very, very honestly. And I, I think people would do a really uh, do themselves a service by following her. All right. So Dina Meta from Lattice. Okay. Um, second question. Is there a tool that every B2B SaaS company should be using? And if you want to go out on the limb and say a sales enablement tool, I'm okay. But overall, just a B2B tool that every SaaS company should be using. Well, I'll, since I said earlier, I, I can't say technology is always the answer, but I will contradict myself and say, I think the two coolest tools I've seen, it's really one category. The category is, is the conversational intelligence. I think Gong and Chorus have, have done such amazing work. And if people haven't even looked at them and scratched the surface on what kinds of intelligence they can provide, they're missing out. I'm, I'm a huge believer in that space. And I, I couldn't run my business without it. And I think it's the, the power of what they provide is, is next level. I'm glad you said that because Amit Bendoff, who's the founder and CEO of Gong, was recently a guest on the Metrics of Major Up podcast. So I recommend everyone who's listening to Dave and I go re- listen to Amit about Gong. 
And then the last question, you're talking to someone who's in college or just getting ready to graduate or just graduated. And they're like, you know, sales enablement, is that something I want to do to become a great B2B cloud founder? So what advice would you give them about sales enablement as part of their career path? Yeah, so it, it's it's a great way to get exposure to a lot of things. And so meaning, as I said before, when, when done properly, you're working very closely with your head of revenue. And that's, that's really where you want to be to get a sense of what's happening in the organization. But as I said before, it's also relationship business. So you're interfacing with, with marketing and with operations and sometimes with HR. And so you're really getting your, your tentacles across the organization and you're, you're kind of getting a sense of how things work behind the scenes. And that's, that's the kind of operational experience that helps you become a better founder and better executive. It sounds like sales enablement would be a great part of your career journey to get to that being a great founder, right? Well, Dave, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Metrics of Major Up podcast. Happy to be here. I'm happy. I love, I love the conversation. I love the topic. And to our audience, you know, if you're enjoying the guests and the topics that we discuss, it would mean the world to us. So go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And go ahead and provide us that five-star rating. And even if it's not a five-star rating, go ahead and tell us how we can make the podcast even better for you. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Dave. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.